Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder, and welcome back to the show where we dig deeper to understand what matters most in business. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Tissa Richards, who is the author of the book, No Permission Needed, Unlock Your Leadership Potential and Eliminate Self-Doubt. Tissa, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Thank you, Dave. It's great to be here. Uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, I want to start by kind of framing the entire conversation with the discussion about your background and uh, anybody who is going to uh, jump out and take a look at your LinkedIn profile and scrolls through your experience, they're going to see CEO and founder, uh, certainly more than once or twice. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about what you've been up to and how you got to this spot you are at now? Yeah, yeah. So you're absolutely right. I am a CEO and founder of software companies, raised uh, money, scaled companies, secured a number of patents in the um, cybersecurity space, and burned out a little bit on it. It's not as fun and sexy as we make it look in the movies and on TV, it's it's really grueling and really takes a hit at your resilience. So after doing that a couple of times, I decided I think I could sort of take what I've learned and help other leaders uh, really figure out, I think, how to take some of the lessons I've learned and apply that to their own teams and their old, their own organizations. Gotcha. So let's, let's start by talking about the book. What inspired you and where can we get it? To write the book? Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, as a speaker, I speak a lot. I do a lot of keynotes, a lot of sales kickoffs and workshops. And so whenever you do that, people say, well, do you have a book? Um, is there a way to sort of get what you're talking about? So I think that was the inspiration. And um, it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Goodreads, just online, and it's also on Audible. So uh, I think it was a way to take a lot of the things I say frequently and wrap it up so when I'm not there, uh, the message can get out to the world as well. Yeah, and I really want to unpack the title because there's a lot of interesting nuggets, just if you go kind of word by word. And starting from the beginning, no permission needed. Tell us about that. Yeah, I, I think in particular, um, the book really covers two primary areas. One is the value you bring. So it's sort of your so what. What are you known for? Why does it matter? How do you talk about that and use that to really accelerate your career and um, build great teams? The other piece of that is the values that you operate on as a leader and sort of become a very, a very sort of fearless and resilient leader. So it's those two pieces, those two key pieces of leadership. And I think what I, where I was really going with that title was that so much of that is already inside of you and you don't really need anyone else's permission to unlock it or express it. And a lot of times I think I see a lot of people waiting for external validation or waiting for someone else to come up to you and say, this is what I see in you. If you wait, um, you're going to be missing a lot of opportunities. So it's sort of doing that self-work, self-reflection, and a lot of self-advocacy. Yeah. And before we go any further in unpacking the title, I want to dig a little bit deeper into something you said there about finding your so what. I want you to explain that just a little bit further for us. Yeah, Dave, we talked a little bit about this when we did sort of the, the pre-show uh, get to know each other. I, I think one of the things that I see is really, really key is the ability to get right to the heart. So when I hear leaders tell me, hey, this is my superpower, or this is what I'm good at, I think that's great, but we have to immediately connect it to the outcome. So if you tell me that um, as a leader, I'm particularly good at this, I want you to also take it to the outcome, take it to the, the so what, essentially. Tell me why it matters that you are very empathetic. Tell me why it matters that you're a great listener. Always connect what you're talking about to the outcome, to the so what, that gives people context, cuts through a really high cognitive load, get to the point. And when you can do that about yourself, when you can find the signal and noise, it is a great skill as a communicator. 
it's it's great for self-advocacy essentially if you can't do that you're making other people do the work for you um it's just really good about controlling your narrative and getting to the point yeah and and maybe you can just offer some advice for the folks out there watching and listening and how they can further connect that that so what to the overall business strategy because like you said there's there's the leadership characteristic but so what help help us get there yeah, I mean, I think, so there's a couple layers of this. If we start at the organizational level, obviously everyone in an organization is trying to get to some sort of outcome, whether it's, you know, hitting revenue targets, innovation targets, growth, whatever it is, that's the big macro level or meta level, so what, right? Getting that context is really key. So as a leader, if you're trying to build a high-performing team, everyone needs to know the context of why you're doing what you're doing. And context is really important for things like psychological safety or engagement. At the, the team level, a so what is really important because that creates a sense of mission. It creates a sense of purpose. At the individual level, a so what is really important because now you can connect it to what you're really good at, why somebody should hire you, why someone should promote you, why you should be in a leadership position. I think there's nothing more important than a really clear and a really purposeful so what. Otherwise, what are we doing? If we don't have that, we don't have a mission, we don't have a purpose, we don't have clarity. Yeah, and is it fair to say that um, the so what may not necessarily be unique, that, that several people can have a similar so what across the organization or certainly across various organizations? Yeah, I think so. And and I think, I mean, really think about what is the purpose. I, I work a lot with boards and I work a lot with people on a, on a journey to add board service or being a board director in their portfolio. At the, the very top level, the role of a board member is to create value and reduce risk. So really, there's not a huge number of things at the end of the day that you are bringing as a board member other than to do potentially one of a, a small number of things. Underneath that is how you're going to help them do that. So, so you're right. I mean, I think a really radical so what may make some people step back a little bit. But yeah, your so what is is probably going to look a little similar to someone's. And then when you get to a level two or a level three, it's it's how you activate that so what that might be a little bit different, but you still have to have clarity on it. So someone can anchor you in their head and say, oh yeah, now I know what, now I remember Dave, now I remember who I might want to introduce him to or when I might want to call him or activate him in the organization or within my network. So yeah, it may not be radically different, but it's still really important to get, to be really clear on what yours is and why you matter. Got it. And, and now that we've, we've kind of connected the, the so what to the strategy, now we got to get to the execution part. So part of the execution is talent. How do we then take yeah. where we've been to the execution side of things, Tissa? Yeah, and this is really, really important, right? Because I think developing talent and knowing how to choose a really high-performing team and then nurture that high-performing team is really great. You can have the best strategy and then really lousy executors. Uh, so that's that's something I'm really passionate about too. How do you how do you set context so that you're not micromanaging and you're saying to a great team, here's where we want to get to. I'm going to give you a lot of leeway to to figure that out. Here's the parameters. Um, go and get there, right? And but also giving people really upskilling them so that they can they can figure out they can figure it out. They have the right skills. Um, but I think a lot of that comes down to: Are you communicating well? Are you giving people the right tools? Do they have what they need? Do they have the transparency? Do they have the context? So this is, 
it's a lot of pressure on the leader's shoulders to say, I think my team has what they need. I can step back and be there for them. Yes, let's talk a little bit more about that when you talk about leading the team. Uh, everybody wants to be able to create the high-performing team. What, what does that mean, and, and, and how do you recommend leaders do that? Yeah, it sounds like a great word, right? And right. I think it's sometimes overused because you can just think, oh, sure, my team's high-performing. Are they actually hitting their targets? Is there? I consider a high-performing team one to be one without a lot of friction, one where you're not communicating needlessly over and over, where your meetings aren't taking up the time that it takes for people to do deep work, uh, where people are pretty empowered to work the way that they want. So I always would say to people, for me, it's about the goal, not the process. Trust that people can figure out their own process as long as the goals are pretty clear. Hopefully that's, um, hopefully that's what you're asking. Yeah. And, and is leadership something that people can innately develop or, or do they have it or, or they don't have it, Tissa? That's like a chicken and the egg question, right, Dave? I mean, right. I think some people are naturally maybe better or more intuitive leaders. I think you can start. I had a really interesting, I'm going to call it a, a lovingly heated debate with a CEO a few weeks ago. And he told me, I don't think soft skills can be can be learned or improved. And I, I disagree with that. I think you can certainly improve people's skills, especially how they lead people. Um, but I also think some people are maybe hit their limit of, of how good they are at listening, um, encouraging people to share. So I, I think I think you can improve leadership up to a certain, maybe a ceiling. Um, and I think some people are naturally very good. Got it. For folks who are watching and listening out there, Tissa, I want to learn more about you or how to connect with you. What's the best way to do that? Yeah. So my LinkedIn, um, my website, which is, it's eponymous, tissarichards.com. I do a lot of keynotes, a lot of workshops where I really help you figure out, you know, how do you lead? Why do you lead that way? How does your team interact? What's their leadership style? What's their communication style? How do we reduce that friction and really connect your strategy to the outcome that you need to get to? Thank you. Can we talk a little bit about leadership styles? You just mentioned that. What, where are the specific leadership styles that you run into or that you try to further encourage? So I, this is something I think is really interesting. There's so many, there's so many ways to measure this, right? And, and I, I think there's a lot of sort of pre-canned, maybe maybe somewhat outdated. So you, uh, you'll, you'll have people say, well, I've taken DISC or I've done Gallup's or I've done Strength Finders or whatever it is. And so they'll sort of tell you in a, a very almost boxed in way, I am this kind of leader. I love instead to have people use their own words. So this is what's in my book. Tell me how you lead, but don't just tell me how you lead by picking a word out of the dictionary and then not putting it in context. So I, I don't think there's predefined styles. I think you can lead however you naturally lead. But I also think your leadership style can be a little bit fluid and it probably matures as you get older and as you've led more and more teams. But to me, the most important thing is to say how you lead, why you lead that way, how it creates outcomes. So you might lead with curiosity, empathy, transparency. I put up four fingers, but it's really three. Um, but to me, the most important thing is then to connect it to values. So why do you lead that way? Is it because you value honesty? Is it because you value respect? So you connect it to those values and that way you can contextualize it for people. I'm leading this team this way because it gives people a lot of context. It gives them a lot of stability. 
Um, and I think those values tend to be a little bit more fixed and your style can be a little bit more fluid. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, one of the other things that I know that you've, oh, I'm sorry, I just got the, the high sign that we're coming up on a commercial break. So you know what? I'm not gonna take you down a rabbit hole, Tissa. We're gonna call an audible here and we're gonna break now. So you sit tight okay. for you watching and listening. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hi, I'm Angela Pipersberg, and I have a new show here in RVN Television called The Angela Pipersberg Show. And I want you to join me every week as I sit with guests and we discuss their life journeys, share wisdom, and tips that will inspire you to live your best life. Don't miss The Angela Pipersberg Show every week here on RVN Television, where we're celebrating life and we're inspiring you to greatness. Hi, I'm Dr. Esther Malave, and welcome to my show, Achieving a Better You. Through this show, we're gonna explore ways to make a better version of you. For example, nutrition, finance, fitness, health. Remember that there's always a way of making a better version of yourself, no matter what the circumstances are. And remember to look for Achieving a Better You show on RVN TV. Some say the world has never been more divided, more self-centered, more uncaring, that we've never been more disconnected. But through our windows, we're able to see so much good every day. And it's clear that a little kindness is never really little. Did you know that only 8% of people who set their goals, they actually succeed in achieving them? Well, if you wanna be a part of that 8%, then you need to tune in to Achieve with Wanda Martin, where I will teach you tips, tools, and strategies on how to achieve your goals in any field and on any level. So tune in, watch me on the RBN Network on how to achieve your goals and be a part of that 8%. Hi, I'm Angela Pipersberg. And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking with Tissa Richards, who's the author of No Permission Needed, Unlock Your Leadership Potential and Eliminate Self-Doubt. Uh, Tissa, I want to continue in unpacking the title of that book and going to the end of the title, uh, Eliminating Self-Doubt. And we, we talk leadership on this program a lot. I have a lot of leaders on the, come on the program. And self-doubt is something that I think anybody who has any self-awareness always is experiencing. Talk a little bit about that eliminating of self-doubt. How often are you seeing it in the people that you work with and, and how do we overcome that? Yeah, Dave, I think this is a really important topic. Uh, I see self-doubt every single day. I see it with some of the biggest leaders of the biggest companies in the world, people you would think, what do they have to doubt about themselves? They're super successful. And I think there's really three ways that I help people close that vacuum of self-doubt. And it's a framework I call three eyes. Uh, the first is to identify, what do you bring to the table? This is really important. My favorite three words are not I love you, but it's I'm known for. And I think that's so important. When you can articulate what you're known for, the value you bring and the outcomes you create, it's really powerful. You can advocate for yourself. You can advocate for your team. You can accelerate your career. So it's really key. So that's the identified part. What are you known for? Why does it matter? 
then you internalize that. That's the second I. That's really important because that's how you, if you don't believe in the value you bring to the table, no one's going to do that work for you. Uh, and that, that takes, that takes work. That's a journey, but how do you do that? You know, that the value that you bring is, is real. It's a fact. It's based on your accomplishments. It's based on your resume, the things you've actually done and you control the narrative about yourself and your career and you got to practice it. So this is practice, for example. I mean, I don't, I don't doubt the value I've brought to the world because I had a lot of practice talking about it. Um, and then the third eye is inform. And really that's about communication. So your ability to talk to your team, to say things like, I'm known for X, and this is why we're doing something. So I think it's a, it's a process, but I see that vacuum of self-doubt begin to close when people know that not every table might be for them, not every shoe might fit, but it doesn't mean that their foot's ugly. It just means that it didn't fit. Or maybe this is not the table for you, but there's a seat at a different table. So I think it really helps you realize that you bring a lot of value. You just have to find the place that's going to appreciate it. Yeah. And, and when we think about self-doubt, um, one concept, one expression comes to mind, and that is imposter syndrome. Is that just an extreme version of, of self-doubt or is there something more to imposter syndrome, Tissa? I think it's an extreme version. And I think that's people who maybe haven't taken the time to stop and really ask themselves, what do I bring to the table and what do I bring to what table? So uh, I, I really am replacing the use of the word imposter syndrome with self-doubt because I think it is an exaggerated form of not knowing what what are you known for? Why does it matter? If you've ever been paid for a job, you bring value. So let's unpack that and really think about it. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about a leadership characteristic called resilience. It's something that we hear a lot about these days. And, and you did a wonderful TED Talk on that topic. Uh, can you speak to that? Yeah. I mean, I think, Red, I, I, I had a really, really epic failure of my last company. It cost a lot of money and it, it just really put my health and my sort of mental health into a tailspin for a while. And I talk with a lot of other founders about this and I think resilience is really key. And one of the things when I was invited to give a TED talk was how do I, how do I talk about this? What, what are the, to me, the foundations of resilience? And I think a lot of it is knowing that number one, there's a big difference between failure and defeat. So failure is temporary. It's, it's, you pivot, you you learn from it, and you move on. Defeat to me seems all encompassing. I mean, you have failed. You don't bring value. So really knowing that distinction, but also I think it's especially to me it's about knowing your values, right? So if you know your values, almost like a muscle memory, how you're going to respond to a situation, how you're going to make decisions, I think you can be you can bounce back a lot quicker. That's what resilience is to me. It's the ability to bounce back. And if you can practice it in a low stakes situation, then you can move it into a bigger stakes situation. Even things like having a hard conversation all the way up to making a really big decision that's going to impact you and, you know, as a founder, your entire team. So uh, I think resilience is really key, but you have to practice it in little, little situations. Yeah. And you just mentioned that the hard conversations. I was actually just going to go there because... Uh, you know, a lot of times the, the hard conversation entails the delivering of bad news, but how do we get better at, at having those hard conversations, Tissa? So, do you know, Dave, 90% of leaders dread hard conversations. And that's, to me, a really bad thing because what happens is we tend to delay them. I was doing a keynote a few months ago and talking about this. And at the end, someone pulled out his phone and he said, I've had a voicemail on my phone 
for three months that I've been avoiding because it means I have to have a hard conversation and I'm now going to pick up the phone and call them back and have this. And I think that one of the things, the reason I think that we dread having hard conversations is we think that they're going to be confrontational or combative. And I think a lot of this is about reframing. So just like reframing failure as it's not defeat, it's learning, it's pivoting. Think about why do we have a hard conversation? It's not for the sake of having one. And if it is, I guess that we got to look at that. Are we running into just having conflict? But why are we doing it? It's hopefully to have a better outcome, right? Maybe we need to talk about something that's not going right. Think about the outcome. We're going to have, um, we're going to reduce friction. We're going to create a better um, customer experience. We're going to get back on track with a roadmap, whatever it is. Think about the outcome. Assume good intentions. A lot of times that's the other thing is we're thinking, oh my God, this person is going to hate me. Or um, So go in, go in with curiosity, ask if it's a good time. Sometimes people like to prepare for them, come with data. And I think that way we reduce the dread, we de-escalate the conversation. Yeah, I want to shift gears a little bit here. I, I jotted down the I'm known for. I really love that. I'm going to try and incorporate that in my day-to-day -day activities. And as I'm thinking about that, it's it's the the introduction, you know, the the elevator pitch story of of who we are. And I know you have said that elevator pitches are dangerous. Talk to us yeah. about that. Yeah, they make me break out in hives actually, um, because they tend to just be. I think most of us have been. Um, told that we should have them for our careers. They're really good. Hey, you need it in a networking situation or if you're looking for a job. But think about most of them. They're long. They're 90 seconds, three minutes. I've clocked them at four or five minutes. Um, most people don't download the audible version of a resume just to listen to at the gym. That's what an elevator pitch tends to sound like. And I really think what you should do instead, they're generic. They don't get to the so what, do they? You have a really high cognitive load. I would love if the world would shift away to something more like what I think of as a catalyst statement, which is what is a catalyst? Something that creates a reaction. I want you to control your narrative. So think about how is someone going to understand you, remember you and take an action in response to you. So that's like two sentences. I'm known for, I'm looking to do this. Who do you know that I can help? And then ask, reciprocate, ask the other person to do the same for you. It's very powerful. An elevator pitch also by its very nature sounds like you're selling. You never have to sell yourself. So you're just shifting again the whole, you're reframing to a powerful statement about yourself and your intentions of what you like to do. And does that help you become more memorable also? I think so. You want to anchor yourself in someone's mind, right? Do you ever have that thing where you're talking to someone and you almost have to say, wait, 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 have you ever met Dave? You need to meet him because I think there's so many synergies. You wouldn't be able to do that if you hadn't anchored yourself in someone's mind. So it's what rooms are you being spoken about in? Somebody said this to me the other day. It's not who you know, it's who knows you. Right. So how are people knowing you if you're not anchoring in their minds? Got it. Now, Tissa, we have just about five minutes or so to go here. So before we uh, wind this down, tell the audience how they can connect with you. If they want to learn more about you, where they can get the book and uh, also uh, about the TED Talk. Yeah, so the TED Talk was really fun. Again, it was about how you can make resilience into a muscle memory. Um, and you can connect with me again, like I said, on my website or LinkedIn and reach out. We do a lot of book clubs for companies around the book, which you can get on Amazon, 
uh, Goodreads online. Um, there's a great audible version of it and, uh, do a lot of, a lot of keynotes, a lot of workshops on these topics. So, uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely check out that TED Talk, too. It's really good stuff. So, Tissa, I, like I said, we're on the clock here, but I, I want to try and squeeze as much as I can and, and give you the final words, so to speak. What prevents people from being good leaders? Are there innate blocks that we have that, that prevent us from stepping up? I think maybe um, what I see the most is people who actually haven't taken the time to think about how they lead, why they lead that way, and then being very... Uh, up front. So I see the highest functioning teams have taken the time to actually ask each other, how do you give and receive communication? This sounds squishy, but it's really, really good, right? How do you prefer that I come to you with uh, feedback? How do you, here's what you can expect from me. It's just level setting. It's, it's basic kind of human connection. And as a leader saying, this is what you can expect from me. Um, this is how I'm going to lead you. This is why. So it's context setting doesn't take a lot of time, but it's almost like creating a README, you know, which is like a technical manual, but as a human, it's a human README and teams really appreciate it. So you're cutting down on the amount of time you're in meetings, you're cutting down on the number of emails back and forth. Everybody's functioning so much more efficiently. They know how to work with each other and suddenly you can innovate, you can communicate so much better. I think people just appreciate that. That's how I think a good leader is just so much more open, so much more transparent, a little bit more vulnerable because they know how they lead and they can communicate it. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're human beings and we really remember, need to remember that we need to be more human, right? Yeah. All right. Well, unfortunately we're out of time to so it does go quickly here, but I can't thank you enough for joining us today on behind the numbers. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome. Wait till you see how I'm going to wrap this show up, okay? Stay with me. Don't go anywhere. Uh, I want to first of all thank the Big Cheese for uh, running the board for me today. I want to thank Tissa for being a wonderful guest. Thank you out there for watching and listening. We can't do the show without you. Again, my name is Dave Bookbinder, and I am known for helping my clients and helping them to figure out what their most important assets are worth. I see Tissa smiling over there off camera. I love it. We'll see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Take care, everybody.